Well, welcome to the Estates Made Simple podcast. My name is Gordon Vanderleek. I'm the founder and managing partner of Vanderleek Law, and my co-host here today is Jenna Carvello, and she is the founder. I think I can say that right, founder of yep. <laughs> Guardian Estate Company. Uh, we're on a mission to simplify the world of estate administration and ensure executors have the right tools to do their job. So thanks for checking in, uh, either listening or viewing. And um, yeah, interesting topic today about registered education savings plans or RESPs um, and its application in um, estate administration. So maybe to kick it off, Jenna, why don't you introduce the, um, uh, I guess, some concepts and, and, and introduce the topic of RESPs. Yes, well, thank you. Nice to nice to chat with you today, Gordon. Um, so RESPs, as, as Gordon mentioned, uh, registered education savings plans. Many parents or guardians set these up um, on behalf of their children or grandchildren uh, for the benefit of them going to school later on in their years. Um, so there's a couple of uh, different rules the government has in place with respect to these plans. Um, there's somebody called a subscriber who is the individual that sets up the RESP and who also can contribute into the RESP plan on behalf of one or more beneficiaries. Um, there is a maximum contribution limit um, that the CRA matches. Um, so it's up to 20% of 2,500 per year. So you can actually get $500 from the government every year. You put in, um, I think, to a maximum of seven years, if my memory serves me. Um, there is a lifetime maximum contribution limit of $50,000 uh, per beneficiary um, during, you know, during the plan setup. And growth and grants are taxed in the hands of the beneficiary rather than the subscriber. Um, so this can benefit, you know, if you have a, a student taking out funds from the RESP, um, they're obviously or most likely at a lower tax rate than the parent or guardian would be. And so you often get some tax savings at the end of the day as well. Right. And so in a situation um, of setting up these RESPs, what are the different types of RESPs? Um, I think sometimes I hear a reference to you know, like just for an individual or sometimes a family. Um, mm -hmm. what, what are the options available um, that executors may see if they're coming across an RESP as part of an estate? Yeah, so as you mentioned, there's there's two main plans. Um, there is a third called a group plan, but most institutions only agree to set up uh, single or family plans. And so, you know, a single RESP is for a single named beneficiary. A uh, family RESP is for one or more um, beneficiaries. So if you had multiple children, it's good to have them under a family plan. Uh, if the circumstances um, warrant, just because you don't know who will go to school and who will be yeah. benefiting from from the plan. Um, so you can pool the the funds and then uh, then when the kids get older, they can decide, you know, who's going to be using them. Um, so those those are, you know, the main plans that a, that an executor would come across and uh, and need to be dealt with in the estate. And, and I think this is an interesting topic because it's often uh, surprising when an executor learns how an RESP is actually dealt with. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, because one would think intuitively, if I'm setting aside money for a child or a grandchild, well, that's where it's going to go. Right. But the interesting um, aspect of RESPs, looking at it from an estate perspective, is that if there is not a, su a sub su successor subscriber, that's a tongue twister, uh, <laughs> a named 
uh, for that RESP, it falls into the residue of the estate. The residue being, um, you know, the the is part of the general body of the estate uh, and would be distributable to the beneficiaries after the payment of all all expenses, right? So, um, in an example where there are three children, and let's say mom is surviving parent or is the last parent to go and has set up these these RESPs. And the will says divide equally between the children, but there's one RESP in one of the kids' name. It sets up that question of, well, does it go to that kid or does it go into the estate and therefore divisible by three in my in my example? So I guess contrary to co uh, popular belief um, is that you need, um, or if there isn't a successor subscriber that is named uh, for the RESP, it falls into the residue of the estate. I think the other implication is, of course, in that in that situation, uh, you know, there's there's the possibility that that grant money can be returned to the government because, as you've indicated, the government has created this incentive system that if parents or grandparents put money aside for post-secondary education, the government is encouraging that by contributing some money to that. Uh, so we want to. Uh, you know, obviously, from a planning perspective, want to ensure that the the funds stay with for the benefit of the child or the, or the grandchild. But from the executor's perspective, what you know, do they have that responsibility, right? And and how much has to be uh, returned would be something that they're going to have to um, grapple with, and then figure out what happens to the investment of of that money, because as you've indicated, the money grows within the RESP. I think that's one of the advantages. You can put some money in and while you don't get a deduction like an RSP, um, you get this contribution and the money can grow tax-free within it, but then there's a tax consequence when it's pulled out. Um, but if you're effectively pushing some of that income and that growth to the child or grandchild, uh, then effectively you can do some income splitting, if you will, and obviously first and foremost supporting um, maybe the parent or grandparent's desire to see that child or grandchild pursue post-secondary uh, education. So I think the takeaway would be that the executor would want to be, needs to make a determination. You can't just make an assumption to say, oh, that's an RESP for the kid. Well, I guess it goes there. You got to mm -hmm. dig a little bit further and say, have they complied with all the rules to say that's where it does it does go? Um, and and who has the authority to make a contribution into in, into the into the plan? If there was, is there anything in the will that deals with um, ongoing contributions? You know, if the if the parent was putting $100 a month into an RESP, does that have to continue? What what are the obligations there? Is there any direction in terms of what the what the person intended and what the will states? So it can be a bit of a tricky issue, and legal advice may be needed to determine who has rights to it. And I think the other interesting thing uh, regarding the RESP would be, um, you know, what are the claims of creditors, right? It makes a big difference. Are these monies segregated for the benefit of post-secondary education for the child or grandchild, or is it part of the residue of the estate that might be available if the estate is insolvent and the creditors are looking to be paid, right? Can mm -hmm. they attach to this money um, or not? That that would be a, a highly important uh, consideration to determine um, uh, their rights, and, and they may be very interested in getting to the bottom of it or challenging um, an executor's assessment of who has who has access to that. So, I, th I think it's one of those areas that can be often overlooked and mm -hmm. could be a source of liability. 
um, if 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 in fact it's ignored and or the, the the wrong action is taken in regards to who controls it and where does it go? Mm-hmm. Well, and you you alluded to the fact that the government grant money um, would likely have to be paid back to the government if it was if the RESP was transferred into the estate upon someone's death. Um, but I you know I don't know the answer to this, but I would assume that this the government would have first priority over that grant money if the estate is insolvent. Um, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, but then there's what about the I, I think they would in terms yeah. of the return because it would be the net amount that that would end up in the estate. Yeah. Uh, but the issue would be what if the child's going, hey, wait a minute, that was supposed to be paying for my tuition. Yeah. Um, but it didn't. Right. So definitely something to think about and review as you're looking at your own will to say, do I have uh, the proper clause in the will? I know we always include a clause that says, hey, I want my executor which might be surviving spouse and or or the, you know the, the the person named to be the su- successor subscriber of all RESPs and of course this is only applicable if they exist if they're actually used up and shut down by the time um, somebody passes away it's a non-issue yeah um, on that but whether it's part of the residue of the estate or not is a highly relevant consideration. Uh, for the rights of creditors, right? Because that's what they have to attach to. Uh, so it can make a difference in certain circumstances if if there are creditors who are looking to be paid out of the residue of the estate. What would be, um, as you're reflecting on it, sort of best practices with regard to RESPs? Yes, well, this is actually top of mind after having my second child. I'm I'm adding my second child onto our RESP plan. So it was a single and now it's become a family plan. Um, but some of the best practices would be to set up joint subscribers. So my husband and I are both subscribers on the plan. If one of us passes away, at least there's someone else still managing the plan and carrying it forward. So that would be a a tip for the listeners. Another tip, of course, as you mentioned, is to include a clause in your will to ensure that if you you are a subscriber of an RESP, you do have someone as a successor named that can continue on the plan to avoid the RESP falling into the estate. Um, And then lastly, I would say, you know, if you don't need the RESP longer, any longer, if your kids are already grown up, and you you still have funds in that RESP, consider collapsing it before something happens to you rather than having your executor needing to deal with that uh, that account. The other thing that uh, maybe I can add to that, because I know we do a fair bit of work with families that have children with special needs. In some cases, if a child maybe is a result of an accident or a traumatic brain injury, um, was planning on going to post-secondary education, but as a result of you know the disability, the event um, is now no longer able to pursue post-secondary education. And if they qualify for the disability tax credit and have an RDSP, a registered disability savings plan, um, so one of these other plans that starts with an R, uh, it it uh, we can roll over from an RESP uh to an rdsp obviously that's a very limited set of circumstances but um you can also investigate whether rollovers are applicable for these unused funds um you know and 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 investigating that would be would be appropriate because i mean certainly these amounts in the rasps can accumulate to a decent amount of money right Mm -hmm. if you start early and they're invested and grow um you know they, they they can be a sizable amount that is 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 worth giving some thought to and more importantly that one's intentions get carried out yeah, yeah. definitely so thanks uh for that i think a good um a good reminder 
for all of us to look at our RESPs and if and as executors to determine whether in fact uh, what your responsibilities are for your the RESP and get legal advice with regard to that. So we want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, please subscribe. That helps us uh, grow our audience, uh, spread the love and and the <laughs> word about uh, estates made uh, made simple, and and uh, just tune in to wherever you subscribe for podcasts. Our next episode is going to be talking about administering an estate where beneficiaries cannot be found; they're missing. I think an interesting uh, file. I know we've we we had an interesting case a while back dealing with this very issue. So I'm excited to talk about it. So uh, again, if you subscribe um, to our to our videos on YouTube or to the podcast, uh, you'll make sure you won't uh, miss that episode. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. And of course, as always, if you have any questions on this, contact either Jenna or I. We'd be happy to engage in a conversation about your specific situation. Thanks, Gordon. We'll see you next time.